0: on this edition of the scott radley show podcast we are talking about canada and china the prime minister came out with very strong relatively speaking comments against china today which happens to be just a few days after the united nations security council vote happened prior to which we didn't say anything that would offend china are they connected is it a coincidence hmm we'll talk about that one we're also going to be chatting about things like malls and other places you can go to. Are you rushing out now? Are you desperate to get out or have the four months you've been in lockdown changed your tastes and your attitudes? And we'll have Don Robertson joining us to talk about whether or not Don Cherry should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, among other things. Stay with us.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Last week in the wake of Canada's failure to win the United Nations Security Council seat that we have been seeking, Uh, I had Adam Chapnick on the show. He's an expert in United Nations Security Council issues and Canada's role or non-role in it. I hope you were listening to that. It was a great great guest. Uh, We chatted about whether the federal government has been governing as it would have under normal circumstances or if it's been making decisions based on currying favor with voting members, particularly with China. Have we been going soft or doing other things to try and make sure that we have votes? And I asked them if we'd get our answer to that question in the near future, if we suddenly were to take, say, a harder line stance on China, would that indicate that we're no longer bound by trying to appease everyone? Here's what I asked them. Take a listen. And I guess we're going to find out reasonably quickly now that we've lost this election, if dealing with China in a particular way was to try to get their vote. There's no reason to do that right now. So if we suddenly see a different foreign policy that could say something differently, if it continues on, then we take them at their word and that's really what they were doing. Yeah,
2: I think you're absolutely right there.
0: So here's the headline or not the headline. Here's the lead from story today. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau directly accused China on Monday of arbitrarily jailing Canadians, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor in order to gain the release of a Chinese executive detained by China. It's been obvious from the beginning. This was a political decision made by the Chinese government and we deplore it and have from the very beginning said Trudeau. It was the first time note that it was the first time Trudeau has publicly labeled Beijing's actions as retaliatory and solely designed to pressure Canada into dropping an extradition case against Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer of Chinese tech giant Huawei. Didn't take long. Today, hardest statement ever. Is it a coincidence? Well, let's talk about that. J.J. McCulloch is a columnist with the Washington Post. He's a Canadian guy with the rights for the Washington Post, writing about Canadian politics for an international audience. He joins us now. J.J., thanks for doing this today. Glad you're here. Oh, thanks for having me. Were you at all surprised today when you saw or heard this story or heard these quotes to see how... Much stronger it seems Prime Minister Trudeau was against China than it's than he really has been in the past.
2: Well, you know, I was, I was, um, you know, I think it's sort of a testament to sort of how low our expectations have gotten. That even just sort of stating objective truth about China from this prime minister now sort of strikes us as like a great, a great sort of uh, <laughs> breakthrough of principle. I mean, I think it's. I think we should sort of maybe adjust our expectations a little bit here. But no, I mean, it is true. It is sort of as you said, it was the first time that he sort of explicitly called a spade a spade. The first time he sort of explicitly said that this was clearly retaliatory, and that it was clearly. Unjustified and was clearly dictated by uh, Beijing wanting to send a political message to Canada as opposed to anything that was at all justifiable on the merits. I, I do think that the Prime minister was quite uh, you know correct in stating that quite so explicitly, but again, like I said, I mean this is it is in some respects just kind of a statement of to how low our expectations have gotten of Ch- uh, Trudeau's china rhetoric. That's something that's just so clearly true sort of now reads to us. And I've seen this on social media that, you know, everybody's sort of drawing the same sort of conclusion that you did, that like, wow, Trudeau is finally like taking a tough line. Well, he's not really taking a tough line. He's just being honest for once.
0: Well, and is there anybody other than maybe those who are absolutely ardently party loyalists who don't think this is the case, what you just said, who don't believe this is a exactly as he laid it out, that he's simply saying what everyone else in the country has long believed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly can't think that anybody could really claim the, the alternative. I mean, I guess that that some people, like, say, former Prime Minister uh, Chrétien, try to sort of spin it as, you know, in these sort of, like, broad terms, like, oh, well, this is a very unfortunate situation, and it's too bad that, like, our two countries are, like, having a little bit of a spat about this. <laughs> but it's like no one has really, I think, as far as I know, and I, I hope this is true, no one has really contested the basic facts. Like, I'm sure... I sure hope that there's no prominent voices in Canada right now that are saying, like, "Mm, yes, the two Michaels, very dodgy characters, probably, you know, uh, engaged in widespread espionage that the Chinese are right to be fearful of. Like, no one, I hope, the Lord is making that claim.
0: But we have, at least the government has, those who speak for Canada have been incredibly delicate, seemingly as not to offend, and there has to be some sort of... There has to be a reason behind that, and then there has to be a reason why that line has now been broken, and we can now say what we want to say.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it was interesting uh, what you said earlier about the idea that this is sort of bound up in sort of the diplomatic dance of trying to get on the UN Security Council. I mean, I'm I'm partial to that belief to uh, to a degree. I mean, obviously, when you're trying to get the votes of. uh, of, you know, not just China itself, but sort of like countries within the sort of soft Chinese empire these days. You know, China has put a lot of effort into cultivating uh, sort of allied regimes around the world, in, in Africa and the Caribbean and South America and the Middle East, elsewhere. So, like, they do have a considerable, uh, you know, pull. And uh, a lot of these countries have uh, sensitivities about uh, regimes such as our own that are sort of seen as being too anti-China. But on the other hand, what I would say is that you have to remember that sort of the the Liberal Party in particular has always had this kind of uh, ideological disposition that the Chinese the sort of the rise of China is something that's basically good and something that we shouldn't be too critical of and that we shouldn't be too critical of the Chinese regime. I always remember, uh, you know, former leader Michael Ignatieff really laying into former Prime Minister Harper for saying sort of nasty things about China. Uh, about the Chinese dictatorship and stuff like that. So it it is sort of important to realize that sort of like the base disposition, I think of any liberal leader, of any liberal prime minister, is to sort of try to sort of smooth over the rough edges of this relationship because they ultimately do believe that close relations with China, very close relations with China, is objectively in Canada's best interest. I mean, I don't agree with that, but that's the liberal party general uh, line.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: JJ, I'm wondering whether it's the United Nations Security Council election that's now gone, so we don't have to choose our words carefully, but also uh, the U.S. Secretary of State also spoke out today a few hours before Trudeau spoke, and he took a pretty hard line. Is that enough for Canada to follow suit and generate this more muscular response from us, just the fact that the U.S. is leading the way?
2: Well I mean I think that the the ultimate test ultimately is is actually not one that the sort of the political uh part of the Canadian government is going to resolve it's ultimately going to be resolved by the Canadian judicial system whether or not she is in fact uh you know sent to the US to face uh charges there which is the important uh issue fundamentally because this is all bound up in in what happens to uh to this woman to the uh the Huawei executive who is sort of at the root of all of this. I mean, the, ultimately, it does come down to the fact of, like, is Canada willing to sort of compromise its relationship with China for the sake of this sort of greater good, which is sort of enforcing our own law and uh, and participating fully with the U.S. that uh, we have an obligation to do. I mean, we have a, an extradition, extradition treaty with the U.S. If this woman is indeed found to be... Uh, you know, justifiably charged in the U.S., she should face charges there. I actually worry a lot that the Canadian judicial system, for one reason or another, will concoct some excuse to not send her to the U.S. to face charges. And I think at that point, we would really be in sort of a in a dark position, because then we would really sort of be seen as, as sort of tools of the of the Beijing regime. Mm. And that's that's sort of the outcome that I fear. So, like, it's important to realize that at some point this is beyond, Uh, Trudeau's capacity to finally resolve the issue one way or another. It will ultimately be decided in the Canadian courts.
0: You wrote a great piece last, I believe it was last week, about Canada's vying for the Security Council seat, and whether this particular thing we're talking about now is or isn't, or has anything to do with that or not. Let's put that aside for a second. Are we going to see Canada doing different things now that the Security Council election is over and we don't have to be Kowtowing or playing nice or whatever else will Canada be different, foreign policy-wise?
2: Well, it's a very good question because uh, you know this project—the project of getting on the UN Security Council—has been sort of like you know the the great sort of sun that the rest of Canadian foreign policy orbits around for the last five years. Like Justin Trudeau's sort of thesis of Canadian foreign policy has always sort of been based around the premise that sort of the world craves Canadian leadership, that the world wants Canada to be more engaged in in international government. And the fact that the world, such as it is, has now explicitly rejected uh, Justin Trudeau's offer, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau's famous line that he said when he gave his first address to the UN General Assembly is that, you know, we're Canadians and we're here to help. Well, the world has said this, thanks but no thanks. We don't really want Canadian help. So now the question is sort of like, well what is the other sort of great like what's 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 plan B? Like what else is Justin Trudeau prepared to make a Canadian foreign policy based around if not the pursuit of this of this uh, of this of this prize? And I really don't know because it seems like that Justin Trudeau's sort of craving for international approval is sort of like one of the central tenets of his brand and I mean, I would say that as well, previously to this whole sort of crisis, I would say that, uh, like I alluded to before, that sort of um, supporting China in some fashion or another, or at least being, you know, sort of broadly okay with integrating Canada into sort of a new, more Chinese-led world order was also something that the Liberal Party was traditionally sort of inclined towards. And so now, in one sort of swoop, you've seen these two big agenda items gone. And again, like I said before, I just don't know what the what the fallback plan is for Canadian foreign policy.
0: Well, let me, let me read you something that you wrote in the Washington Post last week, and I thought it was a really interesting sentence. It says, national exceptionalism cannot be built from timid conformity. Four years of distracted foreign policy is the price Canada is paying to teach its vain prime minister this obvious lesson. What part, what is the distracted part? Because I would hope that if we have been distracted, that this will now be a time to go back and not be distracted and fix those things. But what? where have we, I don't even know if drop the ball is right, but where have we fallen short?
2: Well, I mean, I think that I mean, like, it's it's just, uh, you know, like, there's an, a lot of people have been focused on sort of the financial cost of this and we and, of, of seeking the UN Security Council seat. And we don't know exactly what the total cost will be. And I saw Pierre Polyevra in the House of Commons trying to ask what the price tag is. And, you know, of course, they won't answer that. I mean, it's it's clearly been in the hundreds of millions, if we think, of sort of all of the aid promises that Trudeau has made as he's been sort of tromping around the world, making promises, signing deals with different countries in an effort to get their vote. But the other side of it is just the opportunity cost. And so it's like the mere fact that Justin Trudeau has, in fact, been tromping around the world, going to Africa, going to, you know, the Caribbean, doing all of these summits with countries that really have no relevance to Canada's national interest but are only relevant to the extent that if we can sort of buy them off, we could get votes in, in the UN General Assembly. So that's kind of like what I was trying to get at when I said that there's there's sort of a distraction here. And and yeah, and that's sort of like an impulse of, of conformity and of just kind of like saying what he imagines the rest of the world wants to wants to hear. But I think that like if, if I was to give him advice, I think it's important now, he's been rejected on, on two different fronts. He's seen that China is not... Uh, our good buddy. And he's also seen that the rest of the world doesn't really want uh, doesn't really want Canadian leadership. So I think it's important for Trudeau to just kind of adjust to these new realities. And I would say have a foreign policy that's much more sort of centered on, you know, on good relations with the United States. I think at the end of the day, that's our first and best ally. And also sort of allying with the United States to actually take a different position to China and be much more critical and much more wary of its rise and much more wary of its attempts to sort of flex power, uh, around the world, whether it's in their own backyard or, or,
0: uh, in countries quite far away from itself. JJ McCullough, really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley
1: show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I'm assuming that many of you caught the news the other day because we've been following everything so closely, waiting for permission to get out of our homes and get back to some sort of normal life. So I'm assuming many of you saw the, the latest things you're allowed to do, which is that you can, um, now start to go into malls and stuff. Lime Ridge mall. Now people can go up and go in and use it again. And I want to know if you're going to, and I don't just mean Lime Ridge mall. I mean, a lot of different things that over the last March to April, to May to June, over the last four months, almost that you have become used to not doing, that your habits have changed, perhaps your tastes have changed. Maybe you've learned that there's something that you did a lot of that you really don't need to do anymore, or there's something that you didn't do much of that you just can't wait to get out and do. But I want to know, I I saw this today and I thought, gee, I wonder how many people are going to rush back out to the malls. A, because you may not be comfortable, or you may be comfortable, but you may not be comfortable going into an enclosed space. A mall is, by definition, an enclosed space. People are theoretically possibly closer. The air doesn't move as much. I mean, all those kind of things. We don't even know how this whole COVID thing works exactly, but some people are going to say, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go somewhere where, where we're in a stationary space, an enclosed space. Are you interested? Are you going to do that again? Does the mall appeal to you? Do stores appeal to you? Or have you become now, because you're at home, because you have been at home, are you now saying, you know, honestly, almost everything that I need to buy, I can buy online. I'm going to stick with that idea. I'm going to stick with that idea. Why, Why venture out when I don't have to? Or are you totally comfortable and totally confident? I mean, look, I, I, I haven't been out a ton. I don't go shopping a ton at the best of times. I've been to Costco a few times, mostly to get necessities. I've been to the grocery store a couple times, been a couple other places, but I haven't been doing a lot, but it's only partly because of the COVID thing. A lot of it is just because you can't. What about you? Are you now, now that the doors are being reopened, are you eager to walk through them again? And I say that both literally and figuratively with the mall, with other places, but the doors in general. Now that you can, are you dying to, or have maybe your tastes and habits and desires to do some of these things changed? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Has anything changed in you, in the time you've been inside your house or your apartment or wherever you are, we we'll go to Fred first. Fred is waiting on the line to get in. Fred, how are you tonight? Not bad, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks, Fred. Are you dying to get out of the house and go shopping in the malls, or are you happy to stay home?
3: Well, I'll go in the malls, and I went for a haircut yesterday on the Friday. Uh, Friday, I went on a haircut, and it was nice to get my uh, my brush cut back after having the big long hair. So I feel a lot cooler now. There you go. And, yeah, and I'm looking to go back to the casino. That's the one place I like to go and spend a little bit of money and have.
0: And you'll fun. be com- and you'll be comfortable with that.
3: Well, yeah, they, like they just space us out. Let everybody wear the masks. I find the masks are good because when people talk, if you know Scott, sometimes they spit at you when they're talking at you. So uh huh. At least with the mask, you're not going to get to spit on you. You know. So as long as people stay away, so six feet or whatever away, and that, well, like when I went to my barber's, I wore the mask. Everybody was split up and everything was nice. So long as everybody does uh, what they're supposed to do, we'll be safe.
0: Fred, thank you for the call. I appreciate that. So there's a, there's a vote right now for, yeah, I'll go out. I'll, I'll go back into places and do stuff. What about you? 905 645 3221 or star nine, nine, zero, zero. Are you ready to go back out or are you, are you just saying, you know what? I've, my tastes, my habits have changed. I'm fine to stay in. Jamal joins us now. Jamal, how are you this evening? Good. Yeah. I'm great. Thank you. What about you? Are you just chomping at the bit to get out or are you saying, no, I'm fine. I'll wait.
2: Uh, no, I, I mean, I've been working since uh i mean this is everyone's kind of shut down and i went to the mall on friday just to
0: see just to okay. see what it was like and
2: and and it's it's nice it's actually you're able able to walk through the mall without you know bumping into 32 different people <laughs> that's one, yeah. one of the reasons why i hate malls but uh my only issue is still the lack of people wearing masks i, I that's just something i just can't wrap my head around when I mean, you're in closed space and there's four or five hundred people, and people are just standing less than six feet apart without masks. it's uh
0: it's it, it is one of those things that is driving people a little bit nuts. I'll tell you, Jamal, I don't like wearing it. Uh, yeah. I do, but I don't like wearing it, but you know and, and I'll I'll grant you that there is a percent of the population, one or two percent who for some sort of medical reason can't. But Mm -hmm. the rest of people, um, I'm with you, I'm with you. It's, uh, it's, you know, you got to do it and, um, it is Jamal. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Are you dying to get out and start going to the malls now that they're open or are you still not sure, or are you saying this four months has changed what I think and I don't need to go out anymore not as much. Where do you stand on this? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast
1: on 900 CHML.
0: Piece in the paper today about the reopening of Lime Ridge Mall and I'm wondering if that's something that you are now dying to get out and do again and I don't even just mean as I said before the mall per se just a lot of the places the mall is the biggest it's obviously the biggest I think it may be the biggest facility in the city or close to it certainly commercial wise And for many people, I think if you had asked them on May 13 or 14, when they were beginning the lockdown, and then a couple of weeks later, they would say, oh, I can't wait to go back. Can't wait to go back. Just dying to get back to being able to go to the mall. Well, now, are you? I mean, the mall people certainly are hoping you are, but have you changed your tastes and your habits and your whatever else where now you say you know, I've kind of got used to not doing that, and I'm shocked at myself, but I don't really need to. Or is it the opposite? Oh, man, I just, I, I, I'm i getting there. I've, I've been there every day. I can't wait to get there. I got to get there. I found a couple things very interesting. First one is the mall's general manager said that only 1,100 people will be allowed in the mall at any one time. On a typical boxing day, however, as many as 87,000 people have been in the shopping center. Now, it's unclear. I don't think that means at once, I think in the course of a day. I don't know you could fit 87,000 people into Limeridge Mall simultaneously, but still it's a lot of people. The other thing is a quote that was offered about this. Don't come just to hang out, he said. Wow. If you had said that in the 1980s, people would have looked at you cross-eyed. That's what you did in the 80s. You went to the mall just to hang out, hung out at the food court and maybe had a There was a pinball arcade or somewhere where you went in video game arcade but that's what you did now they're saying no don't come to the mall to hang out come get what you want to get and move along are you going to do that though 905-645-3221 or star 9900 the mall other stores and i'm thinking more enclosed doors because we know that there have been other stores that have been allowed to be opened more recently this is now the idea of, boy, we're really getting back to where we were. Now, by the way, while you're giving us a call, 905-645-3221 or star 9900 on your cell, during the break, Ben said, I wonder why the word mall m- got that name. I'll tell you the answer to that very quickly. Um, it got the name because originally there was a rac- a croquet type game, an Italian one called Pala or in English, they called it Paul Mall and the alley type court on which it was played became known as a mall. And a couple of those got enclosed and then just anything that was shaped like a long, became a mall. And there you go. That's how the mall got its name. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Are you ready to go jumping back into the places you were before or have you, have times changed enough for you that you're saying, nope, I have, I am now not doing that anymore. Leo is waiting on the line to get to us. Leo, how are you tonight? Hey, Scott, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, are you rushing back to the malls or are you saying, no, I'm okay.
4: As far as, as far as the mall, um, I was indifferent before and I'm indifferent now. You know, okay. Yeah.
0: What about the idea, though, of the enclosed spaces? Even if it's a big place like that, are are you concerned about going? If you had to go, would you be concerned to go, or are you okay to go?
4: I'd be okay. I'd have my mask on for sure, and I'd keep my distance as best I could.
0: Yeah. So you're not. You're not. You you wouldn't not go just because you don't want to be anywhere near other people. It's just the mall in general. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. Leo, thank you for that. I appreciate the call. No problem. Have a good one. It's uh, where you stand on this one because look, first of all, I think many people know this because we've talked about this before. I was shocked when I first learned about this. Lime Ridge Mall is the single biggest taxpayer in the city. So as taxpayers, as other taxpayers, we really should be rooting for Lime Ridge Mall to have people decide they want to come back because if suddenly something were to happen to lime ridge if people's tastes had changed enough and lime ridge suffered that's taxes out of the tax base that you're going to end up paying and heaven knows we've talked many times about the situation where we don't need to add more taxes so we should be we should be rooting for lime ridge mall to do well i'm not being paid by lime ridge to say this by the way they're not they're not sponsoring me to bring this topic up or to root for them. I'm talking about it simply from a municipal tax base situation. We should want Limers to do well. But my question is how many people are going to be nervous about going or have changed their views on this? I would, I would have no problem whatsoever. I would have, I would have zero issues, zero concern, zero worry about going to the mall. I really would. And I'll tell you why it's a very simple thing. If you are one of the store owners, if you're the mall owner, the last thing you want understanding the economic reality of it, the last thing is to be careless and have people believe that you're being careless so they won't come back. There are certain places and I would say the mall, I haven't been there since this reopened. I would say I would be shocked if it was not over the top carefulness because you can't afford to have people decide they won't go. Anyway, Radley at 900CHML.com. Let me know. Let me know what your thoughts are on that. Would you be going? Will you be going? Or will you say, no, I'll wait it out. No rush.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML.
0: Let me bring in our good friend, Don Robertson. He of the 4,000 acres in Linden that he has probably just finished cutting. Each week, they go up by another 100 or 200, Don. But um, hey, thanks for joining us tonight.
4: You're welcome, Scott. Ooh, hot out.
0: Uh, it is a little toasty out there. Although, as I said at the beginning of last hour, my basement, I'm in a fleece right now because I'm freezing down here in the basement. So I, I'm the only person in Hamilton, I think, who's cold right now. But yes, it's toasty out there. Oh. Uh, I got a but l- go Me and who? Sorry. No, no, go ahead. We got you, a little delay you, here. What you, was you saying? You
4: and uh, my neighbor Colin just love this.
0: Scene. Oh, I do.
4: And uh, I'm a bigger fan of, like, 68
0: and a half degrees. I went golfing, I went golfing yesterday with my son and it was for father's day. He took me golfing and it was hotter than the East coast of Hades. And it was still great. I mean, I lost about 10 pounds of sweat, but it was amazing. And, and, and Don, he came within a foot of having a father's day hole in one, which was unbelievable. That close. It was unbelievable. Anyway. Would have been even better if he got it, mind you, but yeah, sure. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. The only holes in one I get are when I'm aiming for the pond and then I can sometimes hit it in that giant hole. Um, the rest of the time it's, uh, it's pretty ugly. It is pretty ugly. I, I, I've discovered and, and come to the realization that you probably need to play golf more than once or twice a year to be any good at it.
4: You can't get frustrated with yourself if you don't practice and play. And that's, the, that's the stage I'm at now. You can't, there's no expectation to be able to make a bunch of good shots in a row. I mean, it just doesn't happen.
0: See, I disagree though. I, I mean, not, I, I agree that you are not going to get it, but the expectation, and maybe it's just a personal thing. I do expect myself to hit good shots. And so it drives me nuts when I'm, I mean, yesterday, if you had recorded my round, I wasn't saying bad words, but all you would have heard was the sound of golf ball slamming into tree and then ricocheting off six other trees and then being lost in the woods over and over and over. And with, with a little bit of water splashing too. Yeah. good. Well, it's nice to see the whole course. It was, we, we, we experienced every square foot of it. At least I did. (laughs) Um, Don. Last Late last week, we saw the stories that the Philadelphia Phillies are shutting things down because they've got, I think, eight people on their organization who now have COVID. They're next door to the Jays, and I think they've got one or two. We heard about Austin Matthews now being positive with COVID. We've heard about some other people. Am I just being um, defeatist, maybe is the right word, when I say I don't really at this point even get the point of why the leagues are trying so, incre- I mean, the money, I know, but why they're trying so incredibly hard to try and jam seasons in when it appears for all the world like it's just not safe, it can't be done, it's uh, uh, it's too difficult, it's not, I don't know, it, it's got to be just money, right? There's no other reason. When they tell us it's because they know the fans really want it, yeah, we do, but it seems incredibly stupid to even keep pushing forward in my mind.
4: Well, it's, um, of course they come on and they say it's all about the fans and the fans want it back. And, you know, you could, you could write the script of every commissioner that's doing it. We've, we've talked about that several times. And then generally the second one is it's for the safety of everyone involved. Well, it's becoming abundantly clear. They can't, they can't protect their athletes. The athletes are young, right? So they're going to go out. The U.S. is far more wide open than we are. Um, thank, thank goodness we live in Canada. Four thousand cases in uh, in Florida, a couple days ago in a day. We had 167 in Ontario. Um, but it, you know, when they talk about protecting the athletes, it's clear it can't be done unless you're just going to put them in a hotel room. <clears throat> Pardon me, and put them in a real bubble? And not literally, but almost? Hmm. I mean, if you, keep, unless the athletes are prepared to just stay away from the public and take no risk at all, they're going to get exposed, and this is going to happen, and the whole thing is going to come crumbling down. Here's the interesting one. Let's use the National Hockey League, because you hear more about it up here, obviously. They get 24 teams. They get down to four and then six or seven guys on one team get tested positive. Now, Are they going to just eliminate that team?
0: Are they going to bring another team back? Is that team going to play shorthanded? Like it's I, a great point. I mean, I, no, it's a great point. Because what happens well, if, well, let's say you get into, let's say we get in, Don, you don't have to wait until we get to four. Let's say you, you start this thing. And you're doing the 24 teams and everyone has to be tested and it's, and Don, you're the Maple Leafs and you're playing against Columbus. And all of a sudden they do a test of both teams, the last day before the thing starts and the Leafs find out that Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Frederick Anderson and Morgan Riley are all positive. So what credibility now does this playoff have? if all your best players are sitting out on one team because they've tested positive and the Leafs end up losing in four games or three games or whatever it's going to be, what's the point of it then? What what have we gained from this other than the NHL, I guess, makes their TV money?
4: Well, and and here's where the the league, I think, it's becoming more apparent that there's a big risk that, sure, I mean, I think they want the television revenue um they're not doing this to lose money even though they're not going to have fans but the reality is how bad is it going to blow up in their face if that happens to one team the first week and another team the second week and then all of a sudden nobody's going to watch it because it's a bloody mess then what 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 are the ratings going to be like and i guess they'll get their revenue but you know uh television networks aren't in this just to make the national hockey league and the players rich they're trying to make a buck too and if nobody will watch it i mean um sportsnet are taking a big enough risk anyways in nbc by having playoff hockey in july if if what you just described happens to a couple teams and the lion's share of the fans say you know this thing's just a farce and nobody tunes in i mean some will tune in of course and some will tune into the finals But this thing could circle
0: the drain in a real big hurry. Well, and you know, I mean, look, we're we're throwing out different examples. I don't even know if it needs to be as complicated as we are making it because let's say Austin Matthews doesn't come down with it now. Let's say he gets tested right before this thing starts and he's been now in the Leafs dressing room because they've been practicing now, everyone around him has to be retested and probably has to wait out a several days before. So now can you even play the game or do you just lose by forfeit? Or do you just delay it or what happens? So now every time and Don, I'm with you young guys, look, it's not about a lack of discipline, maybe it is a little bit, but if you can tell me that you think that every single NHL player and every single NBA player and every single major league baseball player that in that whole group of players who are supposedly playing in the bubble, not one is going to step out of that bubble once. I think you probably have more faith in this whole thing than I do. Someone is going to, they always do. And as soon as they step out and, and they're found out, now everybody has to be tested all over again and the whole thing gets delayed. And I, I, I'm i just at the point where I'm saying to myself, I. I love sports. I would love to watch some sports. I just don't know that it's worth trying so hard to try and jam this thing in at this point, because it just seems to me to be a a lost cause.
4: I think if major league sports have another week, like the last week, you're going to see them throw the white towel in. they're just going to say, you know what, we can just, we're going to look, and it'll be all about the leagues. We're going to look stupid if we try this, because this could end up just an awful mess and we better pull the plug now. I, you got to believe they're thinking that. I mean, Major League Baseball are got to be wondering how are we going to play a, you know, moving these guys around. Sure, they're on private planes, but you're, you know, you're exposed to the uh, flight attendants, the pilots. I mean, there is, there is always going to be some outside exposure. Trainers, right? I mean, everybody has to stay in a hazmat suit with an oxygen tank on their back to keep them all safe, and that won't happen. So you get another week like this past one, I I think they might say there's going to be more harm than good come out of this if we keep going.
0: The flip side, and we were just talking about it last hour about malls and things like that, the flip side, and I'm beginning to wonder if the leagues are starting to be very concerned. The flip side is, do you worry if you're the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever, that people are getting used to? not having you as part of their options and they found other things to do. And this is crucial, not even just for the money, but just to remain relevant. And if you do step away until next season or next December or whatever, that we have faded into oblivion and there's so much work to do to try and get people back, I I don't know that's true or not, but I'm guessing that's one of the thought processes as well.
4: Well, there was fallout from Major League Baseball. Uh, the year the Expos were rolling along and it got shut down. But, it, I mean, it does come back. You, you probably lose a bit of your casual fan. But you're not going to, I mean, it, the, the sport's not likely going to die as a result of it. And that's what they have to weigh, right? They have to weigh the collateral damage of opening up and then having to shut down through embarrassment. Because there's no other way to put it. I mean, they know the risks. And they're prepared to take them and what hasn't come out yet and i don't know obviously they've talked to the teams and everything but can you imagine if they do this and some of the players say i don't feel safe i'm not going to play it can't be they can't well a couple have yeah night. a couple
0: a couple don have already made uh, i've alluded to that i don't know i i don't with the money that major league players i don't just mean baseball that big league players make i don't know how many of them are going to say, I'm not going to play when it ultimately comes down to it. But right now, a number of them are saying that for sure. A number of them are 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 definitely saying that.
4: Hockey players, I think have already received 80% of their pay. They don't get paid for the playoffs.
0: Well, that's why the NHL wants to play so badly, right? Because the players are already paid. Now's when you get, now's when the owners, the league makes its money.
4: I know, but isn't, isn't that probably the biggest risk of players saying, you know, I'm not getting my 20% unless the NHL promised it to them, but, you know, and they can't promise it to only the 24 teams. They would have to pay off all 31 teams, right? Because they've expanded it and the 25th team's going, well, if you'd have went to 26, I'd have got paid. So they're either going to pay them all or none of them, I would suspect. But there's no better scenario for a guy to say, I'm not going on the ice for Austin Matthews. Well, obviously, by the time he gets back, you, I don't think you'll contract it from him because he will have been over it. But why take the risk for 20%? The, most of these guys can survive without a year's paycheck with the dough they make. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it may cost them, you know, whatever millions of dollars they're going to make one year. But the truth is, there's no point in being a multimillionaire
0: and getting sick from COVID and not making it through. Did Money's you watch any of the do golf? Well, you can't take it with you. Did you watch any of the golf on the weekend? I did. And did it suffer from lack of fans? I don't think so.
4: I mean, I, that's not the kind of tournament that does that. Waste uh, management tournament in Phoenix, is it, where the fans yeah. are crazy and they're yelling and screaming. That's about the only one where there's fan participation, uh, to me, I I watched it and I got you know I I didn't mind it. I mean it wasn't glued to the TV. Corey Connors and Mackenzie Hughes had a tough Sunday, so I wasn't as uh, attracted to making sure I was watching it. But I, golf is one of the ones that that you can kind of do without fans. Which brings me to another yeah. point is golf that you 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 talked about playing yesterday, and I was having a chat with a guy and he was saying how difficult golf is because hockey's played in the same size rink, basketball, football, tennis. Golf is the only sport where the athletes are facing a different challenge every week. And I'd never thought of that. It was an interesting point.
0: Yeah. And they, and you know, they don't have to be that close together and they can stay healthy. It's look, I, I, I'm just, I'm very close to reaching the point where I just say, I, guys like okay we admire your efforts but this seems like you're just spending an awful lot of time on something that seems hopeless but you know what we will see maybe maybe i'm just a pessimist and maybe in the end we'll all be happy that they pushed ahead and we have a stanley cup playoffs and we have a nba finals to go ahead to but i'm i'm i am doubtful at this point
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: talking sports on Monday as we do every Monday at this time. And on on Sunday I, or Saturday, Saturday, I wrote something in the spec in my Saturday column that generated a lot of commentary, got a ton of emails on this one on both sides of the equation. And the point was uh, the Hall of Fame committee for the Hockey Hall of Fame is going to meet on Wednesday to decide who their class of Tuesday or Wednesday this week, anyway, earlier this week, who their class of 2020 is. And I raised the issue that, you know what, one of the people they have whiffed on for way too many years now, and I still don't know how he's not in the Hall of Fame, is Don Cherry. And I got a bunch of people who said, yeah, you're absolutely right. How is Don Cherry not in the Hall of Fame? And I had a lot of other people say, wait a second, at a time when everybody's talking about racism, you want to put a guy in who was basically let go from his job because he was accused of saying offensive things. Should Don Cherry be in the Hockey Hall of Fame or not? Yes. Why?
4: He should be in as a builder. If they're going to start, and, and I, I guess you can make the argument, if if in fact you think Don Cherry is a racist, that that would be a reason to take him out. But as I heard you talk about, where, where Com Choice Real Estate and the Dundas Real McCoy's are, is in Dundas. And there was some controversy or whether or not the name of the town and the street should be changed. And if we're going to revisit that much history, then the appropriate thing to do would be to take people out that perhaps have some kind of history that would indicate that they were racist or prejudiced. And if you do that, that's going to open up the door for a lot more people to be able to go in because there'll be a few of them going out. I think you have to measure the entire body of work and not not one incident or some things that perhaps don't please most people. He's done a lot for the game. He's he's a hero um, and a friend, and I would absolutely put him in. There, there are people in there that have not done as much for hockey as Donald S. Cherry has. Coach of the Year in the National Hockey League, broadcaster, can't miss Coach's Corner, love them or hate them. Um, I remember being in Maple Leaf Gardens when I was running the Brantford Smoke, and I'm telling you, at the end of the first period, all the reporters, uh, radio or, or uh, newsprint or whatever, that's what all there was back then. When Coach's Corner come, out, come on, the place went silent. Everybody watched it. So he had quite an influence on the game, Uh and everybody's influence wasn't always positive, but
0: well, no. But we've I'm sure got. The, you, I'm sure if you look back, there's some bootleggers in it. The opinion that many people have, rightly or wrongly, today is that if you don't share my point of view, then it's the wrong point of view. And I'm not excusing, you know, some of the people who, in the past, I mean, look at someone like Ty Cobb, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, who, by all accounts, was just a horrible human being. And yet he's there. And I don't think Don Cherry, I mean, Don Cherry is not Ty Cobb. Don Cherry has done lots and lots and lots of good things. I, Don, I just look at this thing and I think it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. And other than beyond Don Cherry, who in just let's say North America alone, who in North America is more famous and more synonymous with hockey than Don Cherry? Wayne I mean I'm saying where someone's walking down the street and you would know who they are. Don Cherry would be up there with Wayne Gretzky with Bobby, Bobby Orr. Orr um the list is
4: short the,
0: the the list I mean if you take if you take the top
4: 5 most recognized hockey players, personalities, coaches or anything else, the top 5, Don Cherry's in it and I will guarantee the other 4 are all in the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, there's another thing too, uh, that, and I argued that he should be in, but the, the, to me, the other thing is this, is that you can't, there's a lot of people who disagreed with his positions on an awful lot of things. You can't have a debate. And I mean, debating is where people form opinions and decide for themselves whether they like something or don't like something. And it makes you think about the game. It makes you passionate about the game because you've now got an opinion. You can't have a debate unless there are two opposing points of view. A debate is impossible without conflicting points of view which means by definition you are going to agree with one side of the debate and disagree with the other side of the debate and if someone is consistent as he was and you disagree with him well you're always going to disagree with him but that also means there's an awful lot of people who agree with him it just because you have said i don't like what he had to say about this or that or the other doesn't mean that everybody shared that point of view and i go back to my point whether you loved him or not, you can't make the case that he is not famous and that he was not as impactful on the discussion and debate around the game as anybody.
4: Well, I think one of the things that, uh, when you talk about Don Cherry, that your, your assessment is absolutely right. There are people who despised him, some through jealousy, some through the platform he was given to give his views on, on uh, the US or Canadian military, the heroes, um, his Remembrance Day um, uh, speeches were all legendary. But even even the people that are on the other side and can't stand them would still be interested in watching him to see what he was going to say. And that, to me, makes him a pretty big influence in Canada and in the sport. And he, he snuck outside the box of hockey more than once.
0: So the other guy whose name comes up, and I had never really given a lot of thought to this one until this weekend, uh, Br- Paul Henderson. Should Paul Henderson be in the hall of fame or not?
4: Yes. He was, I was going to bring it up when I was talking about cherry. It, it, it's absolutely ludicrous that see, it's not the NHL hall of fame. It's the hockey hall of fame. And by many accounts of people, uh, of my vintage the Summit Series in 1972, during the Cold War, at the end of the Cold War, was one of the most important hockey summits that has ever been played. And we won, and he scored the goal that won it for us. He scored three game-winning goals. So if you're going to put the entire 1972 Team Canada team and recognize them, in the hall of fame. And 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 by virtue of argument and observation, the greatest hockey series ever played because it was international, and the guy that won three games for the winning side, that should put him in the hall of fame. The the hockey hall of fame don't reach out side of the National Hockey League very often or often enough. There are builders, um, and, and some of them are in, in fairness, um, that work for the Hockey Hall of Fame and the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association that are in there through the builders category. But generally speaking, they don't reach outside the National Hockey League. And I don't know as there's anybody uh, on the committee that wasn't employed by a National Hockey League team. So to not have Paul Henderson in there to me, diminishes uh, the Hall of Fame and what it stands for. It's a disgrace, and he should have been in 20 years ago. Uh,
0: Again, I had never really given, weirdly enough, I'd never really given Paul Henderson a ton of thought about this because of the argument that had always been made that, you know, he was great for that series, and that was the height of his hockey career. I mean, he had a good career, but not a great NHL career. And then two things came up over the weekend that as I was thinking about this, that I still don't know if they fully changed my mind, but they certainly got me thinking about this, Don. One is Vladislav trechak is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, Vladislav Treczak had a great career, but is there any chance at all that he is in the Hockey Hall of Fame if he does not play goal for Russia in that Summit Series? I say zero. I, I would concur. Now,
4: he did have... A pretty stellar international career. He did on top of on top of that summit series. The other goaltender's in. dryden's in. Now he had and tony, and
0: tony Esposito is in. Yep.
4: Very yep. short though. Like their their uh, Tony's wasn't, but um dryden's wasn't a long career.
0: He was a different
4: cat. He quit right. I've had no, enough. but
0: he, that's right. But Trejack was Trejack. You're right. He had a great. International career played in a bunch of Olympics and won world championships and all the rest. But if you don't have that summit series to expose him to Canada and to the voters, he is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There is no chance he is. And so, so
4: so then I said, my point though, Scott.
0: And then I go, that's why I started thinking, okay, but then Henderson, so why should we give Trecek the benefit of that series to say that was his high point? and say, but we have to extract Henderson's series because it was only that series. That was the first part. The other one that came to mind as I was looking at this this weekend is the argument always is about exactly what I just said. Henderson didn't have the longevity of greatness that a lot of players who get into the Hall of Fame did. And you say, okay, his resume is not as extensive. And I thought, yeah, but the Earl uh, Lord Stanley of Preston is in the hockey hall of fame. And his entire hockey resume is that he bought a silver bowl and donated it. That's all he did. Now I know it's a famous cup and I know that the cup bears his name, but if he's in for doing that, how can you possibly say Paul Henderson's short burst of greatness isn't good enough? It, you know, it's, I hear the argument that you should have longevity and all the rest, but I'm, I'm always of the opinion there can be exceptions. Ex- real exceptions and and uh, to me henderson is one of them
4: okay so one of the things there's a couple things with the hall of fame and um not having don
0: cherry in yet is i think a mistake he'll be in once and he dies he'll be in once he, they'll wait till he's dead before they do it which will be just mean but they'll do that well you're 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 going to my point there isn't many people
4: out there that didn't think Pat Burns was going to get in the hall of fame and for them to flex their muscles and put him in the year after he dies. is just a load of crap. Yep. Like he, he didn't coach another game between the one year and the next. And why not let the guy know he's going into the hall of fame? I mean, what a load of crap. And to put Don Cherry in, uh, after he passes, it would be, you're right, it would be cruel and unusual punishment,
0: but it would and, be to make a point, it would be to make a point. Oh yeah. He was a hall of famer. He did a lot of stuff, but we're not going to allow him to gloat about his being in the hall of fame. So he's not going to know that he got in that. I mean, look, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, the, the idea that that's what they're going to do.
4: Well, it's, it, 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 it's like a lot of guys don't get in, um on the first ballot, but the last year of eligibility, they say, okay, we're going to put Radley in. But he didn't get any better in those five years of retirement when he was sitting there because, because they have some, um, some underlying quota that if there's 12 guys that should go in, put them in, don't have the attitude. Well, you know what? We can put them in next year or the year after. If he's eligible and should be in the Hall of Fame, look at Dave Anderchuk. Dave Anderchuk didn't get a hell of a lot better as a hockey player after his retirement in the four or five years he didn't go in, and then they say, but we're going to let him in, just not now. Well, if you're good enough to get in, let him in. And Don't if you disagree. Go a year, if, you, if you have to go a year where there's only one inductee or two, that's fine. There's, there's, no, dis, there's no disgrace in that or maybe they come up and nobody of the retired crop that becomes eligible goes in. But don't let Clark Gillies in cuz you got room and he played on four or five Stanley Cups and the Islanders and great players. I mean, it's it's absurd and they and they flex their muscles.
0: And I don't yeah. even know if it's public who's on the committee. No, well, it's it's public who's on the committee. What's not public is they don't we don't know Who is up for nomination? Yeah, that's secret. There's not names that we know. For uh, for all we know, Don Cherry has never been discussed around the table because somebody has to bring him forward within the committee for that to be discussed. So if his name has never been raised, he's never been like really on the ballot whatsoever. And we don't know that. And they frankly, clearly don't care that we don't know who is or isn't in contention. Um. You know, I, I, and again, I, I the idea that Cherry is not in, and we got to go to a break. The idea that Cherry is not in, I don't see him getting in anytime soon, especially now because of, you know, it's a much more delicate time and to put in Don Cherry right now and blah, 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 it would be much more difficult. This is one of those cases, and I think it'll be a real shame, but they will wait until he's gone and then they will acquiesce and somewhere down the road, they will put him in and there would be no reason why he couldn't have got in ahead of time, because I'll tell you one other thing. And that we have to, we do have to go most of the people who will go in as builders between now and the time that cherry does get in, you will never have heard of or very little, which would tell you exactly about who should have gone in first,
1: you're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, I, you know, the idea would be that you would fix this into a way that makes more sense of how they elect and who they elect and who votes and what the votes are and all that kind of stuff that would make sense. But I truly also get the feeling that because people get so riled up about this every year that they're fine with this, that they're fine. People are talking about it. People will have discussed this and therefore, you know, that's fine. Let's, uh, let's just keep this going. It's when things get quiet perhaps and maybe we're defeating the purpose, but when things get quiet is when things might actually change, but that's not gonna happen.
4: No, and they're going to run the show the way they always have and the way you know quite frankly they see fit i mean but sometimes you need to change it up a little bit to get different views on it i think if i'm not wrong brian burke's on the selection committee now i think you're right and and if that won't change up the thinking he will assuredly at least bring up outside the box thinking he'd be a hard guy to keep in any kind of a box so you know maybe there is a voice for for guys like grapes and and paul henderson and maybe i'm sure assuredly many before brian burke and some others paul henderson's name has come up and don Cherry's names come up and uh you're right this is a bad year it's politically correct but holy cow TikTok. i mean grapes is
0: no kid anymore If I'm correct, though, Don, if uh, and part of this is that the Hall of Fame is quite fine to allow the people to be upset about this because conversation continues. And as long as people are talking, that's good for the game. That's good for the sport that people are debating the Hall of Fame thing. And so as long as people are talking, we're happy with it. That is exactly the argument we just made for why Don Cherry should be in the Hall of Fame because you may not have agreed with him, but at least and as long as people are talking about it, that's good for the game. It would be pretty rich if the tall foreheads behind the Hall of Fame were saying, hey, we don't care if you're upset with us as long as you talk about us and then say, but we don't want Don Cherry because some of the stuff he said we didn't like. It would be the exact. It would be a complete hypocritical position to take. As long as you're talking, we're good with that. That that's exactly the well, point we've just made about why he should be in there.
4: The uh, there was an article I believe in your paper this weekend about a black athlete whose name escapes me. Apparently, a great hockey player and Conn Smythe, whether it was off the cuff or not, said, "I'll give anybody ten thousand dollars to make him white."
0: Herb Carnegie.
4: And Conn um, the Hall of Fame now. Do they take him out? Or did he say it in jest? Was it taken out of context? But how many general managers and owners that are in there right now that had that view? That black athletes it, were not going to play in the National Hockey League. And it is, we'll uh, never yeah. know. We'll never know. But uh, assuredly, with the number of people that are in there, some of them did. You take them out now?
0: The, the, those discussions, I bet you were going to happen. And I don't know the answer to all of them. And again, because you would have to look at every every single one of these and have context and uh, I don't know. Don, I'll let you get back out and finish cutting the grass.
4: I got another 20, uh, 20 pounds of grass seed to spread tonight and it just poured rain here for about 50 So
0: it'll minutes. be perfect. There you go. It'll be perfect. Uh, thanks for doing this as thanks, always.
4: God. The Scott Radley Show.
1: weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.